0: Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Who wants to talk about Judgment. Right? That's our topic today, judgment. Woo. I get it. It's, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why so many people do not like Christians. And why so many people won't even step foot in a church. Because they have this sense that, you know what, Christians, for the most part, are judgmental people. You know, and I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for this message. Why is it that Christians are the ones who get tagged with this? Why is it that people like, you know, are we the only ones who are judgmental? I don't think so. I think we're all somewhat hardwired to be judgmental, aren't we? Every single one of us. But I think the reason why the world has an issue with it is because of the things that Jesus said. Jesus actually said, do not judge. And that's the reason I think why we as Christians are the ones who get targeted with this idea of being judgmental. And I want you to know today, I want to set your mind at ease, we're going to talk about a tough subject, but I want you to know that this is something we all struggle with and it's not going to be one of those messages that I'm going to like pound your head with like, you are terrible, (laughs) okay, because I've been working on this message all week and I want you to know it's something we all struggle with, I'll I'll tell you my own journey, last night my husband and I were coming back from dinner with our kids and we're talking about politics, I don't know, politics makes you very judgmental, doesn't it? And so we're having this discussion, and I'm like totally laying it down on this particular candidate and telling you know Jim all these things about this candidate, and I'm saying some pretty strong words about this candidate, and he goes, honey, aren't you preaching about judgment tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Okay, so you get it, right? We're all on the same page here. We're going to talk about judgment And we're going to see what Jesus had to say about it. And we're going to see that it applies to not just us, but the people in the world. And we're going to see why it is that we get the bad rap for it, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at the one one sermon that Jesus gives. It's always, always a dangerous thing, thing for a preacher to preach on a sermon that Jesus gave. How can I possibly add? His words, right? But we're going to look at a portion of his sermon when he talks about this concept of "do not judge." You know, we see in Scripture that Jesus did say, "Do not judge." It's the thing that we all memorize. It's the people that are not even Christians, never read the Bible, ever pick up the Bible, and yet they know this passage, don't they? But what we're going to see today is that's not all that Jesus said. We're going to read it. You're going to see that there's not a period. After do not judge. There's actually a whole lot of things that Jesus says about judging that make give that more meaning and more context that we often give it. So let's read a few passages together. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There they are, three words, blunt, absolute, do not judge. And so this is one of those passages where we're going to be hitting with these strong words of Jesus. And it's it's the reason why so many people get upset with us. I don't know how many times you've heard people say, How can you say something about my actions, about my lifestyle, about my choices? Doesn't Jesus say somewhere in your Bible, do not judge? There are the words. He did say those. And how are we to respond? Does that mean that we can't have an opinion, that we can't form any kind of judgment? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go, well, okay, we won't won't do any of it then? No, that's not really true because if we did, you're going to see we're going to be in conflict with even Jesus himself and even the Bible, because we are told in Scripture that there's a certain way, certain type of judgment that we should have. So, here, I'll give you a couple examples. This is Jesus himself in John chapter four. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Proverbs three nineteen says thirty one nine says, "Speak up and judge fairly." Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Leviticus 19.15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And then here again in Luke, Jesus tells Simon Peter, you have judged correctly. Notice that although Jesus says, do not judge, he continues because he's about to demonstrate for us what does it look like to judge fairly, to judge correctly? Jesus isn't against any kind of judging. He is indeed, you're, we're going to find out as we read today, calling us to, and others to offer a generous dose of mercy, but at the same time, we, we, there will be certain times when we do have to judge, we are expected to judge. So let's look at this passage a little bit slower. Uh, Bigsby, if you would, would you put it back up on the screen? Four imperatives, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, give. The Greek word for judge and condemn used here, krino and kara dikazo, are essentially the same word. They mean almost the same thing. They're very closely related. Essentially, these words are saying... Do not declare someone guilty. Pronounce a sentence, an absolute form of sentence on someone else. Jesus is saying, don't close your heart out to mercy. Don't don't look at someone else and say that their access to God is not available because that is not your place. And then we're given two other imperatives. We're told, forgive and give. This pair kind of gives us this picture. If you forgive, you are forgiven. If you give forgiveness, you will be given forgiveness. And it's not acquittal, but amnesty. You see, God is gracious to those who humbly show grace to others, but he scorns the proud. That's what James tells us in chapter 4. And what Jesus is warning us is to not evaluate others which a harshness of our heart that lacks mercy. See, these four imperatives: do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and give, actually have a promise. And that's what he chose us right after that. They're followed by this promise and really graphically illustrated by Jesus. He was a great preacher, huh? He shows us this picture of being given generosity and grace with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. How many times have you heard this portion of scripture taught about money? That God gives us, you give money and you receive good measure. But do you notice the context of what we just read? The context is do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, and you will receive good measure, Running over, pressed down, shaken together, amount of grace. Give grace, you receive grace, and then some. That's the context of this message. In fact, the first century person sitting there listening to Jesus would have immediately had this picture in mind. It's hard for us. How many of you sell and buy grain, right? None of us do. (laughs) And so here's the picture that we're given. In that time, you would go and buy grain, and there would be some sort of a bucket where they would put the, say, the seed or the corn, whatever the grain might be, and, you know, as it is, corn, if you, if you pour corn into a packet, for example, there will be holes and pockets. So they'd shake the container so that the corn would settle down in every little pocket, and then they'd press it down some more, keep adding corn, and then after they thought they had it full, they'd stick their finger around it and see if they could poke holes through it, add even more grain. When they were satisfied, they had put all the possible grain into this container. Then they would pour it over. It's called a full measure. And the man receiving would have had some sort of robe. I've actually seen this in India where they take it, pull it up, and becomes like some sort of a lap, and the grain would be poured onto that robe. A full measure. So here we have this picture of when we forgive, when we offer forgiveness, when we offer grace, we are given grace not exactly the same, not the same measure, but how much more? Beyond. Not just full, but overflowing. Is that not a beautiful picture of why we should not judge? Because when we offer grace, we receive. It's not that grace is dependent on us giving grace, but the more grace we give, the more grace we receive. You see, if that's, that's a really good reason to be motivated not to judge, right? That's a good reason to go, you know, why should we judge anybody? Let's just be graceful to everybody so we could receive a lot of grace. But I tell you, there's another reason why we should be motivated not to judge. Because judgment is actually a trap. It's a trap. When we judge others without offering them mercy, we're essentially judging ourselves. Because, listen, every one of us, I started with you letting you know kind of my own brokenness, but I, I'm sure that if I sat down, you and I, we had a conversation You can share with me your brokenness. We're all on the same page, aren't we? We have, we all have things that we do that we know are not right. So how could we possibly judge someone else when we have our own stuff? Which is what Romans tells us, Romans chapter 2. It says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. When when we judge someone else, you know what we do? We define ourselves. When you judge someone else, you define yourself. The most judgmental thing that you say is actually saying something about you. And I totally get this. You know, I, I'm Puerto Rican, and I grew up in a Latin culture And I saw a lot of men be unfaithful to their wives, so I made a decision that when I got married, I was not going to marry a Latino because I had lumped all those men in one category, men who were unfaithful, men who would cause divorce, and that to me was like my rule, my judgment towards all Latino men. And you know, years later, I ended up in a divorce, not once but twice. Years later, I end up committing adultery. Now, does that not come back at you and slap all my judgment towards someone else? I did the very things I was accusing them of doing. And then I realized, you know, when I was judging, I was revealing something about myself. Somehow I thought I was above that and I had the right to judge someone else. When we judge someone else, we're essentially judging ourselves. And here's the thing. None of us, I'm convinced none of you want to be judged the way that you judge someone else. Like when you hear yourself, I mean, I'm going back and thinking last night as I was talking about this presidential candidate and the words that I was using, liar and a few other choice words, I would not want someone to call me that. I would not want someone to judge me in that way. It would be extremely painful. Like if you recorded yourself and then listened to yourself saying that as though someone was saying it to you, wouldn't you be appalled? I would be. It would be so painful. And I want to tell you a story of, of one such case in Second Samuel chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, go there if you would. This is a story of David. David was the king of Israel, a married man, a man who had everything he needed. And David sins. This is what he does. He he sees his neighbor, a, a woman who is married to one of his soldiers, and he has an affair with her. He falls in love with her, and he wants to figure out a way to make this work. So what does he do? He arranges for her husband to be killed. And then David thinks, I got away with it. I'm the king. I know how to clean stuff up. And he moves on forward, but God reveals to David his sin. And this is the way God does it. So Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve. I'm going to read some of it over you, and then we'll read some of it together. The Lord sent Nathan, this is a prophet by God, to David. When he came to him, he said, "There will be two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamby that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children." It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the e-lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. This is the passage I want us to look together. David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times because he did such a thing and had no pity. There is David casting judgment. You know, he's a ruler who probably used to casting judgment. And he's thinking, yeah, let this be done to that man. Could you imagine David's face when Nathan said to him, you are that man. You are that man. You see, when when sin is, when we recognize our own brokenness, it's overwhelming, which is why it's believed that David wrote Psalm 51 in a moment such as this, when all of a sudden his brokenness was right in front of him and he couldn't deny it. Look at the words that he writes. Have mercy on me, God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O oh Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, David turns from an outward judgment to someone else, internal to his heart. He recognizes the problem is right here with me. He recognizes that out of the heart comes those judgments, and therefore it is in the heart that we need to do the repair. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above or else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I hope if you have your Bible with you, you'll underline that passage. Guard your heart. You see, unlike Jesus, we cannot see the heart of someone else. When we judge someone, we may not have all the information. We may not know exactly the motivation of that other person. But listen, we know what's going on in our hearts. Wouldn't you agree that you have no clue what's happening elsewhere? But hey, we all know ourselves. We all know the kinds of thoughts, the kind of things, and the kind of things we say and the things we do. And therefore, we must guard and look inwardly. The whole purpose of Jesus saying, Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, give. The whole reason for the sermon is. Take a second and look into your heart. This is not a sermon, by the way, for you to be thinking, you know, Susie needs to hear the sermon. She has an issue with judgment. Oh, I am totally thinking about so-and-so, yeah, that he has a problem with that. No, no, no. This is a sermon for us, each and every one of us, to examine our hearts. Because what we need to look when we go into our hearts is do we have an accurate view of who the true judge is? Look what uh, James tells us in verse, chapter 4, verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one. And when we, when we put ourselves in the, our hearts in the right place, recalibrated towards there's only one judge, we have no place in that judgment seat, everything changes. I want to show you a quick video I I don't know if you saw the Bible Epic series. Anybody saw the Bible Epic series on TV? Okay, you did it. So this is good. It's not a spoiler. But here's the thing. You know, they make these movies. They go through the Bible, and they make these movies, which I love it because I personally love movies. But they don't follow Scripture exactly the way it is, which really is a pet peeve of mine. I'm thinking, it's right there in writing. Can't you just, like, tell them to say the same thing? So there's a little creative license here, all right? I'm going to just be a disclaimer. But I want you to watch it, not with that in mind. I want you to watch it and try to find yourself in the story. This is out of John chapter 8. It's a story of a woman who's caught in adultery. And she's brought to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who had a law on what to do with women such like these. There was a judgment that they would have towards her. They, in turn, bring her to Jesus and ask him to cast judgment on her. Here's the one, the real judge, the one that can condemn. We want to watch what he does. I wonder, do you connect with the woman in the story? Do you connect with the Pharisees? Do you connect with Jesus? Do you connect with the people watching? Find yourself in the story. See where you are today. Check this out. Do you notice how the Pharisee kept his rock? Who did you relate to? Did you relate to the woman caught in the sin and yet given a lavish amount of mercy? Did you find yourself maybe today, gosh, I'm the Pharisee, or maybe the bystander trying to figure it all out? You see, the reason why Jesus, the whole point that he's teaching us about not judging point he's trying to make is that he's the one, the one good judge. And he chooses to give forgiveness. We're told in scriptures that the son of man, the son of God came not to condemn, but to bring freedom, to bring eternal life. The one who had the right to condemn chose not to condemn. The one who had the right to judge chose not to judge. And so we first look inward. And then as he continues to teach in, chapter, in verse 39, look at how he t- what he tells us about how we are to care for others. You see, Paul said, we have no right to judge the world. No right, that's God's role. It is God who judges the world. But when it comes to our family of believers We can help each other, hold each other accountable, encourage each other, walk with someone, maybe even confront them with something in their life that is going on that you want to help them with. But it's to be amongst our family, amongst each other, and done with extreme tenderness and mercy. Listen to the words. Jesus says Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, you take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, Jesus is warning us not to be hypocritical. What's hypocritical? A play actor, someone pretending to be something that they're not. Because it's only when we are true to our own brokenness that we can bring comfort and healing and strength to someone else. You know, my husband and I have shared with you, I've been through divorce. We committed adultery when we first got together, and those are horrible things, and we stand on the grace of Jesus who has forgiven our sins. So you know what we get to do now? We get to walk along couples who are struggling in their marriage, couples who perhaps are considering divorce, and we get to come and tell them, listen, we've been there. We've done that. Let me tell you a little bit of what happens. Let me play that movie forward for you. Let me give you a picture of that, because sometimes in the moment, we're blind. No way could I walk with a couple that's struggling like that, if I'm coming at them with a judgmental stance saying, you shall not divorce, right? But that's not love. We get to walk with couples who have been broken apart because of adultery, with men and women who have made done that sin as well. And by doing so, by being clear with our own brokenness, then we know how to approach them with love and compassion. And you see, that's why he uses this exaggerated picture of a plank and a speck. You know, a speck of sawdust is pretty painful to the eye. I wear contacts, and when one of those things dries out, it's like, oh, I'm going to get it out. It's just so painful. So a speck is a big deal. And this idea of a speck and a plank, Jesus is using as kind of of a picture of our brokenness, of our sin. Sometimes we have little ones. Sometimes we have whopper, big ones. But how can we possibly help someone else with their little one if we don't deal with the big one that's in us? Jesus is saying you are absolutely blinded to being able to minister to someone else in their brokenness. So what is the correct, a fair way to judge? Begin by dealing with your own stuff, by repenting by working through it, by asking for forgiveness, for standing in the grace so that you can then walk with someone else and say, listen, I see something in your life. I see what it will do because, listen, I did that, but I did it even bigger, and I can save you from that small amount before it gets to be as big as mine. You see a different attitude, isn't it? It's a totally different attitude. See, before we judge, Jesus is saying, examine yourself. Before you take the speck out of someone else's eye, take the plank out of your own. And the beauty of this, the way that we can see if we're doing this, is we get to examine our heart. And he gives us this other picture. Jesus is a very good preacher. Can we tell that? In verse 43, listen to what he says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil one brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So you see the importance of doing self-examination, looking deep into our hearts to know how it is that we're doing this. So you see what Jesus is saying. Take a look at your life. Maybe for you today, the rest of the day, or this week. Watch the fruit that comes out of your heart. Are you being critical? Are you saying judgmental things about another? Are you being judgmental towards someone else that you shouldn't be because you do the same things? That's the fruit of what's in your heart. And therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to go back to this passage and remember Recalibrate to your heart to who the real judge is. And remember that when you extend grace and mercy, it's returned to you a whole lot more. To be encouraged. Jesus is saying, listen, put your hater at the door. Instead, put on love. And you know why? Because mercy is a beautiful thing. When you see mercy displayed for someone else, It's one of the most beautiful, powerful, inspirational Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again.